This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today as our guest, we have Ann Bennett. She's the founder and CEO of KBA Associates. She's kind enough to do this in her home, so we're incredibly blessed and honored by that. Ann, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. And before we get too far into that, let's dig into your journey to this point and your background. Okay. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss my business KBA with you. I work with small and medium-sized businesses, and I'm going to give you my background first, and then I think it'll journey on to how I work with them. I have a big four background, started out in audit and then in consulting, and left big four and started an IT company that uh, did large trading partnerships. We developed the software and we had customer service. And I did that for 15 years. And then I sold it to a strategic buyer and was on national tax, director of national tax at the company that acquired my company and had a non-compete. After I left, after the non-compete, I realized that I had a lot of knowledge and uh, had been beat up a lot in the small business world, that I could help small businesses. And in the specifically, what I've noticed is the lack of sort of the journey of finance. You don't look at your financial statements 15 days after year end. The financial attributes are throughout your company from day one. And every activity within the company has a financial component and should have a return. So that helps in your decision-making and in your planning, and that's why I help the company. Strategic planning, executing the planning, making sure that the finance flows out throughout the company in the margin area, returning on marketing and sales, promotions. When you go to a conference, for example, $10,000 spent at the conference, what was your return? What did you do? What did you do with the cards? That makes a difference in your growth. You know, for you... The thing that folks are listening and they go, well, you went quickly through the fact that you started a company and ran it for 15 years. Most companies don't make it that long, nor do they get bought out. So let's dig in a little bit to the start of your company and the growth and then the subsequent sale of your company. So you left audit and a big four accounting firm. Yes. And... What was that thought process like when you said, you know, I'm leaving, which is arguably a great job, good security, and I'm going to start my own business? What was that like? Well, what happened was, is I was going with a company that was going to do a large trading partnership in oil and gas, because I had done a lot of systems work in oil and gas. And I got a call, and I'll never know how the call came. It came on my phone, and it said, Anne, we need a partnership system, and your name came up, and we'd like you to write it. Hmm. <laughs> so I put together a couple of programmers and second floor of the train station, and we were off and running. However, I was very lucky. In that environment, there were only two other, three other public accounting firms that had large mainframe systems. And where was this at at the time? Denver. Denver, okay. And there was a couple other companies that wanted to have a system available because they wanted the audit work, but they didn't have the systems work. But we were developing the system. So I got my seed money via non-compete 
giving them marketing and sales rights. So that was your fundraise. That was my fundraise. And so it was you and some programmers to start with. Right. And then there's a situation, and I've noticed it a lot lately, is because of the automation of you send in your resume, the automation uh, tool pulls off certain functions that you should have. And a lot of resumes don't pass the automation tool. And so a lot of people are on the street. A lot of people are looking for good people, but they're not getting within the company because they're being screened out by automation. Mm -hmm. In my case, I didn't have automation, so I read the resume, and what I looked for was skill set. For example, we had to hire 50 people every year to deal with customer service. The person that I hired to be in charge of that was a manager at Starbucks. I taught him tax. Mm -hmm. He knew customer service. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. After working at Starbucks, I would say. He was perfect. That's interesting, you know, because I always talk about you can find people around that are just extraordinary and you can teach them many things. So how did you find this guy at Starbucks? Were you at the Starbucks and find him? Yes, he was down because we were in lower downtown and he was down at Starbucks working at Starbucks and he wanted to. And I so we started talking about what we were doing. And he said, that's pretty interesting. The other thing is, is because partnership is very complicated, there's a lot of tax code involved. We used to, at lunch, we would have uh, lunch in, and I would go to Wall Street, and I would find a partnership, and then we would break it down. Mm-hmm. Now, what components, what technology, what data do I have to have to produce that? And that's how the programmers learn partnership. I made it exciting, because there's always a scandal in partnerships. You know, there's always something going on. Well, you know, you were talking that many years ago, you went into one of the wirehouse firms when you had the first non-mainframe computer and did some work for them as well in the partnership space. Yeah, when we, I said I would develop it only PC-based, and we were lucky enough to run into a software that was developed by the Army in the 60s, and it's a variable-length record, multi-valued field. And the variable length record means if your name in a mainframe, you have to have 20 characters. And if I have to add five more, that means my IT department has to spend a month changing. A little variable length record allows for a dynamic back and forth. And so, yes, I went into to Merrill Lynch, as a matter of fact, on the second floor down at Battery Park. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, yes, we can. And they said, well, we'll see you tomorrow morning. I said, okay. And I had programming staff with me. And so we worked all night. And the next morning, we showed it to them. So what was your computer that you lugged in? Was it a compact? Uh, Yes, it was. (laughs) And it was about the size of a sewing machine. In fact, I was asked when I carried it on the airplane why I was bringing my sewing machine. And I said, well, no, that's my PC. It's come a ways from there. But to get back to small business, one of the biggest problems that I've noticed is they are not taking advantage of the opportunities of the tax code. Mm -hmm. They send their data every year to the tax man, and he asks a couple questions, and then he spits out a K-1. Well, there's some tremendous advantages, like, for instance, research and development credits. Mm -hmm. And research and development credits are not just for software. They're also available in the construction industry, green buildings, manufacturing, Internet of Things, now called IoT. All that has R&D attributes, but the thing is, you can't capture the data at the end of the year, embed it within your payroll reporting, 
embedded it in with your materials acquisitions so that it is the credit is accumulated throughout the year. Let's step back a little bit. And when you're working in the small to mid-sized business arena, I would imagine that you get asked similar questions from various, what are the top three to five questions or problems you typically get asked when you're consulting and working with these small and mid-sized businesses? Flow of information. Informations tend to be siloed. Mm -hmm. Too many Excel spreadsheets. We've got to embed the data within the accounting system. And that could be that purchased a system, but there was nobody to help them implement it, to help Bill and Sally and Betty really use the system. So they're afraid of the system. They're afraid to get rid of their Excel spreadsheet. And so and if I'm that Make person... Make them comfortable. If I'm that person in that business that has that software... And I say, Ann, I need some help with this. What do you do? I would look at what's being done on the Excel spreadsheet and what can be embedded in the original entry rather than after the fact on an Excel spreadsheet. So you incorporate the data within the accounting system. And the accounting system is not an office in the back. The accounting system flows from marketing, sales, production. Okay. All the way through. And so you advocate that rather than just a static at the end of the year, it's a working, living tool. Breathing tool all the time. And the systems available now are reasonably priced Mm -hmm. that they can be embraced. Somebody's listening and they're going like, what systems would you mention or or Um, utilize? I would look at what they're doing. A construction industry needs different features than a production system. Okay. And so there's specific applications. You can custom tailor. I would look at the available systems and see which one fits based on their price, price point and what information they need. And in some ways, well, what makes you an expert in the systems? Well, I did it. I've done it for, I did it through, I wrote one in mini computers, but before that, or PCs, before that, in the mini computer world was all we had for oil and gas. Yeah, and so for you, the period of time that you ran your company, I wanted to circle back to that. So you're sitting at some point running your company and buyout offer surfaced. Was that out of the blue or did you anticipate that? No, they uh, attempted to put me out of business for four years, every way they could. And they merged. The two big four firms merged. And they asked the firm that I had worked for to call me. And they said, Ann, we'd like to entertain a buyout, but we're so confused as a result of this merger. Can we call you in a year? I said, sure. I always talk to my competition. April 16th, they called, and they said, we'd like to talk. And at that time, I had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. You have to do some exit planning. And I had to look at the makeup of the company. I had 30 employees, and so I felt it was best to sell to them and return a thousand percent to my investors. All my employees were hired. They all got signing bonuses, 10% signing bonuses. They got equal salary and they immediately invested in their 401k. And this was something on their resume money couldn't buy. What year was that? Right before the dot-com bubble burst, which was 1999. No, yeah, it was September of 1999. Great timing. Good timing. For you, as, as you look at that, so you built this company and you've been running it and it's a family member. Yes. What was that like, like the day after it was sold? What was going through? Now, and I've thought about that a lot and I've thought about it as I talk to small business. 
there is a fear of what happens the next day. So I did a couple things. One is I had a, a four-year non-compete. So I was in it. They didn't want me in the business again. So I went on board. I made an agreement with them that I would be on board for that period of time. And during that time, I would work with the existing client base I had and all the employees to transition from an IT company into a big four public accounting firm. A owner of a company has to make a decision. And I'm working with a company right now that has a, a niche software. And he has had some inquiries to buy him out. But what they want is this customer base. So you as a small company need to be positioned that you make the decision when you're going to buy, get sold, and how you're going to get sold, who the buyer is going to be, and on what terms. For an instance, I'm a small business of some description, and I'm trying to do some exit planning. What are the things that you would recommend to me as the business owner to start to try to say, I need my business for sale, and how do I know what it's worth? First of all, we need to talk about what your business is and where you want it to go and what stage of your life are you in and how usually a small business as uh, is sort of stuck and they want to move in a direction. Do you want to move in a direction you want to build it for five more years and then find a strategic buyer? Do you want to build it for five more years and your son is now going to be 25 and he's going to be, you're going to work him take him in to the company. My brother-in-law has a large, an example of this, is a good example. He has a large heating coil company, and he has a son and a daughter. They both went through engineering school, both got their MBA. At the age of 62, he became chairman of the board. His son started out as sales and became president. His daughter started out in the IT department. She's now the CFO. So it's unique. In my case, a strategic buyer was a perfect, for one thing, they paid acts of EBITDA because it was a strategic buy for them. Rather than go out and sell those clients, it was easier to buy them. And since our system was uh, significantly, it was PC-based, so we could handle private, all different kinds of partnerships. It opened up a whole new sales and marketing So you have to look at your company because your company can fit in to a strategic buyer where they don't have that product. You're a complement to their existing product. Was there another company similar to yours that sold at any time in that? No. So how did you know what multiple it should be sold for? You have to look at a combination of things, Mm -hmm. especially in an IT company. You have to look at how long it would do to develop the software, what the revenue stream for their client is, what the potential for new business is, and you put some factors, some dollars on that. Also, in the case of a public accounting firm, this is a consulting, but they're going to add on tax. They're going to add on, well, it's tax and consulting. They're going to add on audit, special projects. It's a vehicle to get into a client base that would be difficult if you just went in and bid on the audit. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was a value-add for them and for, you, and for you as a business owner because that's the world you came from. You had a feel for that. I had a feel for that. So I also upped the price. I also went back and countered. Do not be afraid to counter you, at all. You didn't have to sell. No, did not have to sell. And where I'm heading with all of this for the business owner that's listening, he said, you know, everybody's going to have an exit strategy or you die or the state has one for you. 
And so you look at that and you go, I have a kind of business. And what have other businesses like mine sold for? What are the key points that they've sold for? It depends on the industry. If a software, you don't just sell for X of EBITDA, especially because you've got a new tax law to deal with. So the EBITDA of S-Corps is going to be a little bit different because they wanted to make them even with the C-Corps. So there's a complicated formula now that you have. But you have to look at what you want to do for the rest of your life, what position your children are in, what position your family unit is, and if you're a small business and you want to grow the business, you may have to bring on some equity to grow that business where you want. Do you want to do that? Do you want to have a partner or partners? And for you... And under what conditions do you want those partners? And what structure? And what structure? I recently worked, with, talked with a company, and they had a dynamic software product. And software drives a lot because it's a good tool, a good vehicle. And they needed sales and marketing. So they decided to have the company acquired by a private equity company that was going to be the star at sales and marketing. It hasn't turned out that well. has not turned out that well. For the folks listening out there, and if it's not already apparent that you have a broad range of skill sets from being in audit, and running your company and selling your company and understanding intellectual property and all of these things. And you bring that expertise to the table. So if somebody's out there going, I really need to talk to Ann, or at least have that conversation, how do they find you? Is there an email that you'd care to share? I have an email, Ann at kbaassociates.com. Associates is spelled out K-B-A, and then associates are spelled out fully. Yes. Plural. Yes. Dot com. Yes, yes. And so that's how they would find you. And I think about businesses and coaches. And many of the business owners are so busy in their business that they spend little to no time on their business. They get stuck. How do you help a stuck business if they bring you on board? For one thing, I don't give them a list or a book and says, in order to sell your company, you have to do all of this because it's not going to get done. Mm-hmm. We spend an, an hour just gratis, sit and talk. Mm-hmm. What's your problem? What's your low-hanging fruit? I see right now, if you can envision a hamster on a wheel with a cash flow, mm-hmm. and all you're doing is responding to your cash flow. So you're getting more and more business. You have no idea if the margins are there to sustain that growth. Or actually, you're growing in revenue, but you're losing money. And you just don't know it yet. Because the cash is coming in. Mm-hmm. Now, the cash will, and you're on the wheel. So there's a lot of private equity, a lot of business brokers. There's a lot of lists. There's a lot of books. You have to do this. You have to, in order to position your company for sale, it's not going to get done. It's too much. You have too much else to do. So let's, let's pick and choose. What's important? What's going to be the, give us the, biggest bang for the buck, and work on that. What is very important is strong management. You can't run a company without people, good people, loyal people, and you need to give them the tools they need to be good employees and also communicate with them. And so you finish the hour consult with somebody that reaches out to you, and you guys come to an agreement. 
What I would do is after we discussed, I would sit down and I would draft a one page. Mm -hmm. That's all it has to be, one page. Okay, so you have that, and you're not just working in the Front Range, Colorado area, are you? No. So you're nationwide. Mm -hmm. And you look at that experience, and so then they would expect next steps from you. And what is it, you know, for you, let's say that you're trying to help a company integrate their accounting software throughout the system. What would be something that you would envision as next steps? I would look at, first of all, their documentation that they've drafted and then talk to the people. Mm -hmm. What's really happening? What's working? What's not working? What is it, the software that doesn't have the buckets that you need to capture it? Did the salesperson with the software company say something and then that didn't happen? And then I look at their contract if it's an IT And I had an example. There was a a small modification in a software package that needed to be done. And they had just acquired the software, and they wanted they just acquired it for $800,000. This was a small, because I've developed software, I knew it was a very small change. And I said to the client, I said, it should be incorporated in the Mm $800,000. It's a couple fields to be captured. For you, we talked a lot about IT. Are you niche specialized in the IT space, or do you consult with others non-IT? Non-IT, but I use IT. I use IT for two reasons. One is it makes things easier. It makes information accessible throughout the company when you have a good, strong IT system. Salespeople, marketing, managers should be able to dial in. You should be able to look and run a period of date, not a month end or a year end, a period of date right now. What's my financials look like? Everything should be real time. For business owners, I think a lot of times they don't have red light, green light, yellow light system set up from their software. This is intolerance. This one's out of tolerance. Is that something you can bring to the table for these business owners? Oh, yeah. I remember when somebody asked me if it would print in red. (laughs) I said, no, but I can give you a minus in front of it. I mean, actually, you could. But yeah. And one of the things I think we should sit down and discuss, and even within the hour, what do you want to see that you're not seeing? What's meaningful to you? I can give you a financial statement, but what numbers do you want to see? Mm-hmm. You built a company. And for some of the companies that have banking relationships, and they're looking at their either in-loan covenants or they're not, and it would be really useful to know, can you drive their software where it'll tell you that they're compliant or not on a period to date? Yes. Okay. And that's very important. And it's very important because there's a regulation within the banking community that they have to do diligence on their commercial loan customers. They're not doing it, but things are good. But we just went through 2008, and preferably we go through it. And when we go through that cycle again, we go through it with a lot more sustainability than we had in 2008. In your experience in working with businesses, do you think 2008 has faded into their memory? Yes, I'm afraid it has. And that's because the hamster on the wheel. They're busy trying to, business is coming in, it's good. And so there again, cash is in the bank. And I think about, it's like driving a car with no brakes. Yes. There's no way to know when it's starting to stall or roll over. There's no way to know. And if they don't have those blinkers set up, then that's a challenge. For you, we've talked about the various things that you bring to the table for the small business. Is there something in the small business world that you bring to the table that I failed to ask you about? Empathy. I've been there. 
I've done that. We went through two tax code changes. We went through the dot-com bubble. We went through the resolution trust. Forget RTC. The early 90s, been there, went through it all. Reagan's tax code change. I understand as I've been there. The consulting world out there, there's you get the laundry list, you get the, the academic solution. And for you, yours is real world on top of being in the accounting space and building a company. Right, right. And in connection with that, as we develop their financial system, I also develop so that when the auditors come in, it's very quick. It can be produced. When you have to do the taxes, it's embedded. Mm -hmm. The financial is embedded within the company for both the company and for the outside. And for the banks, you have to, rather than all these extraneous schedules that are being developed. So you can do that and you're in compliance all the time because you can run it period to date. You should be able to. We've talked at length about what you bring to the table so people know how to reach you. Now I thought I would quiz you to death as we go along here. Okay. And we were talking a little bit beforehand about influences on you. And what's the most recent book or influential book that's altered your perception on being a CEO or how you run your business? I just found a book that I had read uh, 10 years ago called Focus. It's very small. And I've started to read that again. And I think it's going to be good. I'm going to write something on that. Yeah. It's funny. I think some of the books, and particularly the ones that, you know, that were particularly moving at the time, and then you go back like an old friend and read them again. And I think we take different things as we go back through again. Yes. Our needs are different, I suspect. There's a, another book, Making It Stick, and that deals with change. Just as a side story, you talk about putting in an IT system, and you're in a group with uh, the employees, and you really don't understand, but one employee is having a problem at home. Maybe his son ran away. Maybe his son's having trouble in school. He is not grasping at the same way. You leave. He's scared because he didn't really engage in that training session. You have to recognize that in an IT development and make sure that there's a way to grab him and bring him back in. That sounds like personal experience. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Out there, folks have uh, habits that they bring to the table. What's your most unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you or your company most and why? A habit that I have? Mm Mm-hmm. You said you were really interested in diving. Oh, I do underwater photography. But I'd say the most habit that I have is when I get confused or frustrated or uncomfortable, I will exercise. I'll go for a walk. If I can't write a letter, I'll Mm -hmm. go for a walk or I'll go for a run and write the letter in my head. It's funny. I've heard that more recently than probably any other time in the past. Yeah, and the people says, you know, I'll take a conference call on a walk. Or I have a meeting, I'll go for a walk for the meeting. Yes. Or I just can't get it done. And who was it? Hemingway used to leave a sentence undone when he went to bed at night. And he said, my mind will finish it in the morning. Good. But, you know, you think about what you're talking about. Yes. And so hard to take and not be active if your body's moving in your mind. That's right. The flow, it flows. It just... It just works. We mentioned diving. Diving is somewhat of a precise skill, or really bad things happen to you otherwise. Right. (laughs) So for you, is there a parallel between 
underwater photography and running a business that comes to mind. Attention to detail. Yeah, we're not going to talk about my SD card that didn't load, right? Mm. <laughs> attention to detail. And that's true for a business owner. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the detail. That's, that's where the trouble is. That's where the devil is, always. When you, So you're standing in a dive boat right now, and you're going somewhere over here relatively soon. You haven't been before. And you have a pre-dive routine, I suspect. What does that look like? Well, they tell you the map of the area. Mm-hmm. And I grab my camera. Mm-hmm. And down I go. Do you take in and make you know do the battery check and do your regulator check and do all of those things? Or is that so second nature now that it really... Second nature. Okay. I mean, I'll click it to make sure that there's air. Make sure my air is turned on. That would be important. Yeah. Make sure your air is turned on. I have jumped in without it being on, which is not really good. But yeah, stupid. But you're paying more attention to your camera, really. Have you loaded your card? Do your strobes work? Okay. Yeah. But when you get down there, you're paying attention to a lot of detail. You're watching your gauges. You're watching your how many feet you're down. You're watching your air, continually watching that, as well as the cameras here. Yeah. And then you have the protocol for framing a shot, I presume. Yeah. I tell that fish to stay right there because I'm coming over. That works real well, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, Hold right there. Yeah. yeah that's I'll sort be- of like my customers. <laughs> yeah. It works real well. For in the advice space, what advice would you offer to a new CEO that is assuming the role of CEO for the first time and why? To listen, be aware, hang out. Don't worry about all the rules and all the regulations and just hang out, walk around, meet some people, talk to some people, go to the cafeteria. So we'll pretend you just got appointed CEO of a new company. It's a manufacturing company. And you're walking out onto the shop floor, and you see some guy working away or some lady working away, what would you go and ask him? How's it going? What's new? How's it going? How's your day? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your name? Here's my name. Shake hands. And and get him comfortable because that's where the detail is. That's where the problem is. That's the things that they have not been willing to share because they've been afraid to share. You've got to open up the communication lines so that everybody feels that they can. It's not a criticism. It's because of the mission and the vision of the company, where you want it to go. That's why you're there. You're there to increase the margins. You're increased to uh, have it grow. And you make the employees work together as a cohesive unit. Congruency. That's your power of your company. Mm-hmm. That's your power, not your weakness, your power. You don't want them to leave. Digging into that a little bit. So you called um, to come into a company, and they said, we think we have some accounting issues or whatever. And you walk in and go, the communication channel is broken. There is no up-down communication. What would you do if that's the circumstance you ran across? I would talk to the owner. Mm -hmm. Talk to the CEO. Because they have to buy in. You can't start here. They've got to buy in, and then it flows down. And so... If there's a communication challenge, it usually means that either one, they didn't know, or two, they don't have the skill. And if they don't have the skill, is that where you coach? That would be easy to fix. Not easy to fix. Nothing's easy to fix. I don't mean to minimize it at all. But once recognized, the problem is in the recognition. And then steps can be put in. Steps can be put in place, which goes along with communication and people's willingness to open up. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't be scared. Don't be frightened. Yeah. And that's something I think you have to communicate to the employees to foster that. You don't need to be afraid of me. Right. 
you have to have that buy-in from the the owner, mm-hmm. buy-in from the CEO. Yeah. Quotes. What's a quote that you find meaningful or one that you use frequently? I think this one's the best. In changing times is an opportunity to make a difference. And that's what we have right now. It's funny. What is it? That old, was it that Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times? Yes. It gets to, in my mind, it seems like changing times are just normal. Learn to adjust. You were talking about, you know, I think about uh, 1990, Gulf War. 1994, I don't don't remember what they did in 94. 98 was long-term capital. 2000 was the dot-com event. 2008 was the mortgage meltdown. I mean, you look at that and you go, these events are happening with regularity. And so systems and methods of dealing with change. They have to be put in place. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, somebody asked me what the one thing was that I had to deal with in starting the company and also in growing the company. And that, I just remembered what that was. It was fear of failure. Mm -hmm. Face it. If you fail, what can you do? Well, I can do this. So I'm not afraid of failing. Plan B. Plan B. And you started your company in what year? 86. When Reagan decided he was going to kill the private partnerships. (laughs) Timing is wonderful. But we still had the trading partnership. And then the Congress said there'll be trading partnerships because we did Service Master. And that was a C-Corp that became a trading partnership. So then Congress said, we'll give you 10 years, and you have to go back to be a C-Corp again. Well, you started in 86, and the market was exciting in 87. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You got good timing. Mm-hmm. If I was to talk to your colleagues and ask them what you're best at, what would they say, and how do you utilize this strength on a day-to-day basis? Probably asking direct questions and solving problems. When you and I met, that's the one thing that I commented on. I said, one thing I can bet on is that you're extremely direct. And I happen to like direct. So I thought that was refreshing and a lot of fun because you were we were at a table when I met you. And it was absolutely apparent. Direct was your forte, which is really cool. Well, in business, we don't have a lot of time. No. We have no time. Time is, it just evaporates. Yeah. So we've got to accomplish in the time we have. Well, Anne, we're coming to a close of me picking on you here on this interview, on the episode, but I really appreciate your candor and sharing your experience and expertise and look forward to keeping track of your success here in the near future. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You bet, Anne. Talk soon.